Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favour to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at osbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. I'm David Kosh. Great to have your company as we kick off the afternoon with the call. 10 stocks reviewed by two experts. Those stocks uh, suggested by you, I throw in a bonus stock of the day and we put it to our expert panel for a bit of guidance. Thank you to everyone who is sending in their suggestions. We've got some really good uh, group of 10 stocks and some really interesting comments uh, from you attached to those suggestions as well. So uh, it's going to be a fun 60 minutes or so and uh, we've got a great panel to uh, guide us through the next 60 minutes as well. Gary Glover from Novus Capital. Gary, how are you, sir? Excellent, David. Excellent. And Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Always great to have you on board. Howard, how are you faring? Yeah, great to be with you, David and Gary. Uh, it's an interesting time of the year with reporting season just yes. having started. Just, just uh, approaching now, particularly in full swing in the United States as well. So a lot happening on markets over the next couple of weeks or so. Hey, let's kick off uh, with a stock of the day that I've chosen because it's in the news. Thought I'd look at online homewares retailer Temple and Webster, a bit of a favourite here of the call over the last 18 months or so. And online shoppers certainly f still flocking to the company's website in the midst of lockdown, pushing full year earnings to new records uh, with sales driving the group's revenue up over 85% on last year. Looking ahead, no slowdown in sight, according to the company, as fourth quarter sales are up more than a quarter on the same period last year, with growth accelerating past pre-COVID measures. Revenue for the first four weeks of fiscal 2022 are uh, already um, a 40% beat on this time last year. Uh, Gary Glover, uh, Temple and Webster, certainly a favourite investors during lockdown. And then everyone got a bit sceptical on whether that performance could be maintained. But this update uh, is pretty impressive. What, what did you think of it and what do you think of the share price? Yeah, look, obviously a great update. So um, becoming a market leader now, uh, Temple and Webster. So that's that's the great thing for the company. The I think it's actually that the numbers are probably slightly um, above uh, the highest estimates. So that's, that's that's obviously pretty good as well. Obviously, um, much better than, than most people expected, but even better than the in some of the most bullish forecasts there. So 
looks pretty good for Temple and Webster. The only price, the only issue here is the price you're going to pay for it. So when you get good stocks, they're uh, they're not really cheap all the time. So I think if you if you look at those numbers there and factor in roughly what 16, 17 cents earnings per share, you're getting up around 65, 70 times earnings. So um, I see most uh, analysts are looking at next year the earnings being um, lower than than this year. So so I know everyone's going to have to probably move the earnings investments up here, but I can still see across the board here in 22, most analysts aren't, aren't seeing this success kick on. So obviously expecting once things open up that um, um, the online space won't be as strong and um, that extra spend won't, won't be there. So that, that'll be the most interesting aspect there. But look at looking at the technical picture there, it's had a pretty good day today. Um, I think the all-time high is around $14. They're just looking at the chart and volume price action there. I think it's probably going to go and retest that high, maybe go up towards $15, $16 here. But that's, you know, that's, you're getting up there, getting pretty pricey, pretty expensive, and you've got a few risks on the, um, you know, look, looking forward here. So great business, just not not a great price here at the moment. Okay. Uh, Howard, what do you think of Temple and Webster and the, and the result? Yeah, yeah look, a, a great result. Um, but one thing that really concerned me looking at their two announcements, their presentation and their announcement, is it didn't actually tell us what profit they made. It said what EBITDA they made. Then I burrowed through and looked further and I eventually found EBIT. But shareholders don't share in revenue. They don't share in EBITDA and they don't share in EBIT. They share in profits after tax. Um, or in other words, net profit after tax. That's what, as a shareholder, you get a piece of. So my concern with this company would be it's had three years of uh, rapidly growing profits that look good, but it clearly hasn't yet understood that from an investor point of view, you're most interested in earnings per share or in net profit after tax that delivers the earnings per share. You're really not terribly interested in how much the revenue went up by, or how much the various other measures went up by. The most important two are earnings per share and the net profit after tax, which delivers that earnings per share. And so I think team invest members would look at this and say, it's only got a three-year history. We like a minimum of four-year history, um, preferably five, of profits before we can even start considering a company as a potential wealth winner. It's had three. Are management focused enough on bottom line profits that we would be comfortable to start looking at it as a potential wealth winner. And looking at the two announcements, I'd say, no, they're not. They focused far too much on increasing revenue. So it looks very promising, but as Gary pointed out too, it's also extremely expensive uh, on a P of over 60. If it was on a P of six, and we had a concern about uh, uh, that they weren't focused enough on profits, we could probably live with it. But on a P of 60, um, you look at it and you say, I'll rather wait another year. Let's see if they start understanding their focus on profits a bit better. And then I'll also have four years worth of history. I'll be able to judge management better and then I can make a decision. So sure. no for me, but it certainly looks very encouraging. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's get into, into, the, um, into the stocks that our viewers have suggested. First one, Max uh, wants a view on integrated research. Um, he said, uh, Howard, uh, the team from Team Investor previously uh, dubbed this uh, a wealth winner. 
but since it's dreadful 2020 um, first half earnings, the, the stock has saw, um, uh, fallen off a cliff. Uh, would like to hear Howard's thoughts. Of course, they're in um, uh, a software company in Mission Critical. They call it Mission Critical um, Software. And uh, uh, Max is saying, is there is this company still carrying relevance for the future? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very interesting and it's quite polarised as Team Invest members at the moment. It's probably uh, one of the two companies that most polarised members. Now, it has been a wealth winner. It's earnings per share. Uh, stock price has got nothing to do with whether a company is a wealth winner or not. Uh, it's the earnings per share growing, which is what drives sustainable stock price increases rather than uh, markets emotional reactions. And its earnings per share had grown consistently for about 20 years and it passed our filters for more than 10 years. So it was very, very clearly a wealth winner. Now, wealth winners with high stability, which this one had until a year ago, are five times as more likely to continue being wealth winners than the market as a whole. So we get on average in Team Invest about 15% disappointments on our wealth winners, 85% of them carry on delivering year after year after year after year. Now, this has proved one of the 15% disappointments. It now means, because of its appallingly bad, as the uh, as Matt pointed out, results for the half year, um, you start looking at it and you're saying, well, what could have caused it? Well, firstly, they've had two changes in CEO. And the biggest reason that companies cease being wealth winners is usually a change in management. They've had two. Um, the good management who are building the company up, not there anymore, that's not a good sign. So that's not a good sign. The results were poor. And on average, when you look at profitable companies, which IRI still is, you only have about a 17% chance instead of an 85% chance of them being a wealth winner. So most of our members now say, therefore, we can't regard this as a wealth winner. I agree with that. Um, there are a smaller number of members who still say, um, based on such a long track record, we're quite keen on it. Now, a comment about the mission-critical software, um, Matt mentions that uh, other software companies are including it in their software, not to my knowledge. And in fact, if I was the chairman of the board of a company and somebody came along and said to me, I've got a great idea, you know, at Microsoft or Google or Apple or whatever, I've got a great idea. Let's include what IRI does in our software. My first question would be, how many customers are there potentially? And when the answer came back, well, it's a very, very small market, probably no more than about a thousand odd customers worldwide. I'd say, are you nuts? What are we wasting our time on developing something that has such a tiny niche market? And that's one of the moats IRI has. It's a tiny, tiny niche market and hence hardly subject to competition because it's not worth the while of any of the big players to develop something that's going to perhaps have a thousand customers when they've got other things they could develop that have millions of people who would use right. it. So longer term, it may well correct and, and become a wealth winner again, but it doesn't meet the requirements of a wealth winner right now. Um, because its profits have collapsed, and at the same time, it's had two changes of CEO. Yep. Okay, Gary. Integrated research. It is an ugly chart, is it? 
Yeah, no, very, yeah. But I, I think it's one of those things that um, because there was some high growth there previously that, um, you know, this stock did have a fantastic run and probably got really, you know, probably got super expensive. So um, it's had some headwinds here. Obviously, um, the numbers are slightly down. I saw they can they just recently confirmed that they're, they're going to come in at the higher end of their guidance there. I think somewhere between 74 and 79, so probably around sort of 78, 79 million. Net profit's going to be between 4.1 and 7.1, so probably the higher end again. So not, not too bad there, just still on a reasonable multiple. So still on about 27 times here. Um, so, look, it's not... The market cap's only 345 mil, so it's, it's, it's definitely um, come back mm -hmm. in sort of um, scale here. And it's probably not super expensive there if it was growing at a at a reasonable rate. Just just concerns me that um, that the sort of the, the P and L and the earnings have just sort of slid away a little bit. But yeah, it's a, it's a tough one there. It sort of looks to me like it might technically go a little bit lower. But um, I think 150 is the 2018 low there. So that's that's a probably a big technical marker for the stock. Um, that that might be really good buying if it gets down there. But um, yeah, it's a bit of a wait and see for me. It's probably I see that the, most of the brokers, uh, a couple of brokers have, have um, dropped their sort of four-year guidance, um, sorry, for 22, 23, just because they think there's some rising costs there for the for these guys. I, I don't know how that works, you know, in these IT sort of software um, game there, but I think you want to sort of see a bit more growth come back in there again before right. you get too excited about this one. Yep. Okay. Yeah, they're developing SaaS yes, versions of it. Uh, that's where the extra cost is coming from, Gary. They're switching from on-premises software to software as a service software and there's a lot of development cost involved in that yeah okay okay all right our next stock uh, gary am wants a view on blackmores the uh, the natural health company vitamin country uh, company with uh, um and also supplements um supply pharmacies obviously supermarkets health food stores throughout australia new zealand asia and a lot of rationalization apparently going in this uh, in this sector at the moment as well, globally. So there's been, I noticed some reporting in uh, finance press that they're, they're appointing bankers for a potential defence of any, uh, any takeover offers. Um, what do you think of Blackmores? That's uh, good rhetoric to be leaking out to the market, isn't it? Just yep. to... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, I mean, like the... Blackmores has been stuck here actually for the last couple of years, uh, probably the last almost three years. The stock's been sort of caught between sort of sixty and ninety dollars, um, and I think historically there it's traded. I mean the, the PE really varies for this company. It's sort of traded as low as sixteen and up to seventy nine times. Currently around about forty six times. So um, pricing quite a bit of growth here the next couple of years, but still you know if we get a sixty four percent growth this year and another twenty eight percent growth next year, which is pretty high numbers still trading on a fairly high PE. So I, I think the stock's going to be range bound here for a bit. I think um, there's probably a reason why that, you know, sometimes when you go sort of post sort of super growth and you sort of go back to sort of more normalized growth, um, the share price has got ahead of itself and then it eases off and then it probably just, you know, goes sideways for a bit. So yeah, look, I, I think the stock's going to be sort of stuck in between 60 and 90. So, you know, down the bottom of that range, I'll probably be interested um, top of that range, I'm probably not. Um, and right now, you're probably right in the middle. So it's sort of, um, yeah, you're just on. You're still on a pretty high PE here, so yeah. not not for me here, but probably closer to 60. I'm 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 definitely interested. Okay. 
All right. So, note for Blackmore's uh, um, founder uh, led initially, was it at Howard? Marcus Blackmore, Christine Holgate was uh, managing director during the glory years when they were taking China by storm and that share price got to its $170, $180 market. Uh, a long way down from there. Yeah, in fact, it got to 200 at one stage briefly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, again, one of these cases of a company that was a clear wealth winner, earnings per share had been growing, the share price had been growing, that carried on for more than a decade, um, had great management, founder-led, uh, a, a very determined CEO in um, Christine Holgate, very talented as well. And now they've had two changes of CEO and Marcus Blackmore has retired from the board. So they've now got an independent board. The independent board um, bought a factory. So they went from being a marketing company to now a product manufacturing as well as a marketing company. And, I, you know, marketing companies don't generally know much about running factories. The same as manufacturers don't usually know much about marketing. So that's a worry. And it's been reflected in their results. I mean, their earnings per share were $5.70 odd in 2016 and down to a, a dollar last year. So as Gary says, it's a bit expensive at the moment. Now, in their favor, though, is most of that growth came from China. The Australian market's still about the same size it was. And the rest of Asia is growing quite rapidly for Blackmores. So although they lost a lot of um, sales in China, the rest of Asia is now roughly the size of China, uh, and they've now got three pillars to their growth, China, rest of Asia, and Australia, instead of really only um, the two pillars they had before. So that's positive, but it depends whether they ever make a success of uh, turning this factory into being a profitable part of their business. And if they don't, um, then it's probably been a very bad acquisition. So once again, change of management, there's been two changes, the CEO, same as they were at IRI, is usually a sign that a previous wealth winner may cease being a wealth winner. And when they switch from having a board with a founder leading it to a board that's pretty much completely independent, that's usually a worry too, because the independent people really know the company all that well. They're very focused on governance. They do a wonderful job on governance, but they don't usually understand the business as well as the founder. So governance improves, the business usually suffers. And um, Blackmore's is the other one that's currently polarizing our members. So I said there were two companies, former wealth winners out of the 30 odd companies that we really like. And the other one other than IRI was, is Blackmore's. And right. um, you'll have, you know, probably two thirds of members uh, still saying they think Blackmore's will uh, do fine because of the growth in the rest of Asia. And uh, 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 sorry, will do poorly and about one third saying it will do fine. Right. Okay. So, uh, All right. So it is interesting that you're pointing out the common themes of these companies that go uh, transition their fortunes uh, decline is uh, is uh, executive changes and and almost the make up of the culture of the board. Yeah, well, people run businesses and the same as people run sports clubs, you know, you change a coach. Uh, a couple of times and change the management of the club a couple of times and the club uh, that was doing well stops doing as well or the club that was doing poorly may do better but uh, in the end it's people that run businesses yeah. and two businesses can be in exactly the same industry 
one brilliantly run and one poorly run. So the industry it's in uh, may have some importance, but who's running the business uh, makes a huge difference. Yep, absolutely. All right, um, Howard, Rob wants a view on Hutchison Telecom. Um, uh, obviously, a, a telco. Rob says 25% principal combined ownership of TPG, Vodafone, IONet, Intermode, AAPT. Will it survive and would you buy with the hope of a takeover? Uh, I would never buy anything in the hope of a takeover. Um, you know, you want to buy into things that you feel you've got at least an 80, 85 percent chance of it turning out well and bets on whether a takeover will happen or not. I can't see how I'm going to get that kind of percentage odds in my favour. Uh, I mean, uh, at best, I may get it 50 50. Um, so, no, I wouldn't. And Hutchinson has lost money for all the years except two, 2018 and 2020, out of the 10 years that I can look at. Um, so not a company that any team invest member would give more than a couple of seconds glance to and say, no, no, waste of time. Um, we couldn't have a good chance of this being a wealth winner. Scrap it. Let's move on. Uh, remember, in the end, you only want about 20 companies in your portfolio, maybe 25. There's 2,200 on the stock exchange. Why look through... Uh, the ones that don't look good in the hope that they'll become good, why don't you rather look for the ones that are already good? Yep, yep, really good point. Gary? Yeah, I mean, the other thing too, there's a, it's quite a complex sort of structure there. Obviously, apart from holding, um, I mean, it's got a 25% stake in TPG, so why don't you just hold TPG? Um, yep. That's the majority of the business here. And like the shareholding as well. So like it's, um, I think, 87% of the shares are held by CK Hutchison. 10% are held by Spark New Zealand. So there's not that many shares uh, remaining as well. So it's a really sort of um, unique or complex sort of uh, structure as well. So, yeah, I, I just think, no, nah, not, not for me at all. So Howard's saying that that hasn't had a great sort of track record sort of profitability as well. So um, it's more strategic sort of holding if you've got a strategic view on this stock in the sector. But uh, I think there are easier ways to... Yeah. Um, to, to look at it, so yeah. definitely no. Okay, all right. Uh, Gary Scott wants a view on Harvey Norman, the uh, the big retailer that um, its performance has been shooting the lights out during uh, during COVID as everyone starts to renovate and the the building boom, of course, founded by Jerry Harvey, run by uh, by Katie Page. Yes, obviously doing very well at the moment. I mean, look, it's it's, it's a really hard one here, actually. The Market cap there up around what 7.2 billion, so it's, it's getting up in, in size here now. But the the actual numbers aren't expensive, so the PE is under 10, the yields what 6.6, 6. 6.7%, sort of fully frank. So nice yield there. The the big sort of big question here is that um, you know will this sort of success that's going on here now because of lockdown, will that continue in the next sort of 12 or the next 24 months? So. Um, are we going to be shopping as hard at Harvey Norman in the next couple of years as we've had in the last 12 months? And that's, at the moment, most most uh, analysts have got lower numbers for, ex for next year. So if we look forward, even if we sort of look at, a, say, a 20 30% sort of shaving here, it's still not expensive either. So it's just a tough one there. It's sort of not... I don't see it's expensive. I, I just think it's one of those stocks I probably would like to buy it maybe, maybe under $5, probably closer to, you know, Four eighty-five dollars is probably a, a better buy here. I just it's got some risk here, but it's it's um, just because I think that 
things will slide down here in the next one or two years, but still think these bigger businesses are still, you know, have got, um, have built a pretty, you know, strong online business, which is going to be forthright for the next few years. But I, I guess I'm, I'm not as bearish as some of the other, most of the other um, analysts, but I can see definitely sort of scaling off a little bit here. So um, you just got to try and buy them when they're on the, on the, on the Dipsy stocks. Okay. All right, Howard, what's your view on Harvey Norman? Yeah, um, as Gary says, it's, it's looking pretty cheap at first glance. And, um, you know, it's done very well out of the lockdown in COVID. But sales uh, per share haven't really been rising all that much. It's largely the earnings per share that are rising. Now, when you consider that earnings um, also include revaluation of properties, and this is a largely a property company more than it is a a sales and marketing company, um, it's the, the, the financials are not always as easy to understand as many other companies. So my concern would be, as Gary says as well, as I'm going along with him, um, will it do as well going forward? You know, we predicted at the beginning of COVID, uh, March, April last year when I was on the show, that people would buy more furniture at home. If you're sitting at home, and you're stuck and you can't go to your office, you're going to look around the room and you're going to say, gee, I need a new desk or I need a new computer at home or I need new lounge furniture. This lounge suite's looking pretty shabby. So you're going to go and spend a lot of money on making your home look better. But of course, once everybody's back in the office and they've already bought the new lounge suite and they've already bought the new desk uh, and they've already bought the new computer for home, will they carry on buying new ones thereafter? And the answer is probably no. Um, so my concern is that although it looks really cheap, maybe the PE isn't as low as it looks because there may be some component of that that was a revaluation of some of the properties uh, right. in those ones. So I think without, and it's not a company I know well enough that I can give an answer, but I think any viewer who is looking at it should say, it starts off looking cheap, but I better spend a fair bit of time going through the numbers and satisfying myself that, um, it's as cheap as it looks. And also, what do I feel about the future going forward of people buying the kind of things that Harvey Norman sells once we're out of lockdown? Yep, yep. Okay, all well, right. I, th I think I think most analysts have got uh, numbers around about 20, 30% lower for the for the next, or for the future sort of 12 to 18 months here. So they're, they're yeah, expecting it not, not, not to be as hot as it has been, but yeah. Uh, only problem is we know that about 80% plus of analysts' forecasts are materially wrong. So it doesn't help a lot, but at least it gives us an indication. Yeah. And, uh, and also COVID is, if we keep slipping in and out of lockdowns, it's um, hard to foresee with these. In, at least it's got a good line online presence, but also a good bricks and mortar network as well. So um, yeah, And relatively to... cheap. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Howard Robin um, wants a view on Domino's, uh, the big pizza um, group, home delivery group, not only here, but also I think they're big in Japan as well, and they've got some interests uh, in Europe. Robin says, given the Delta virus looks to be uh, being with us for a while, is Domino's still likely to be leaping ahead in earnings? I noticed Macquarie has just downgraded it. Um, it's had a pretty good run. Howard? It has, and that pretty good run's gone on for a decade. And the reason they've done so well for a decade is they're opening up more and more and more stores, 
and the average sales per store is going up and up and up and up. So Europe's now become bigger than Australia. The total um, uh, number of stores in Europe has just overtaken the total number in Australia and New Zealand. The number in Japan is rising very, very rapidly. And most of the growth is probably now going to come from Europe and Japan with some growth from Australia. But it's still got a long runway. I mean, they, they're projecting a, a number of stores uh, over the next five to 10 years that's about 50% more than it is today wow. and increasing revenue per store. So, you know, I, I should say I own this company and I bought them at $7.90 about nine years ago. So my $7.90, this has been an absolutely outstanding wealth winner. But it's not surprising. The share price has risen a little bit more than the earnings have risen. But the earnings per share have gone from about 30 cents a share to $2.40 a share in that time. So the earnings per share have gone up eight times. The share price has gone up a bit more than eight times. But it's in the end, it's earnings that drive share prices. What's happened is interest rates have also dropped. So the share price has risen a bit more than the earnings have risen. And it's on a PE now that's on the expensive end for dominoes. So I think it's an absolutely great company and will continue to be a wealth winner. Debt levels are a little bit higher than we'd like, but that's because they own a number of stores that they buy back from failing franchisees and then resell them. So those debt levels will probably come down. But the PE is a little bit on the high side. I would say for viewers, it's the kind of company that you'd love to own in your portfolio, but you probably don't quite want to buy it when the PE is in the high 40s. Uh, if the PE gets down to sort of uh, mid 30s or, or maybe even high 30s, uh, that's the time to get in and buy it because it is a rapidly growing uh, business and a terrific wealth winner. Yep. So hold it if you got it, but if you're getting into it, maybe wait for a pullback. Gary? Yep. Dominoes? Certainly wouldn't be selling it. Yeah. Look, it is a great business there, but I mean, it's um, it is pretty pricey here. So we're we're up around that sort of PE of close to what around sort of 50 odd there at the moment. Um, so forecasting what 25% growth this year in earnings, I think another 17 and a half uh, growth next year. So some pretty decent growth numbers going forward there. But you know, I a pretty decent multiple as well. So um, I see some of the brokers have sort of got a few concerns here just for, um, around the fact that the price has doubled um, through the pandemic. And so they're worried about once the lockdown comes out whether whether those sales will be as elevated as they have been and also the other one which is pretty interesting is uh, the rising cost so with uh, the inflationary sort of fears here there's a bit of a cost um, jump in cheese and wheat and packaging and obviously um, even wages as well so there's a few sensitivities there to some downside risk potentially so um, maybe you'll get a chance to buy this a bit cheaper there. But I think it is, historically, if you look at where it trades, annual average PE, it's it's definitely sitting on the very high end of that mm. where it normally would sit, even though it's had a really pretty long history here, trade on some pretty high PEs in the past. It is pretty pricey at the moment. So right. um, I would not be buying it here. Uh, I'd be probably waiting for um, a sell-off there. But look, a great business, just very, very expensive at the moment, based, but just because the conditions have been... You know, lockdown has made, has elevated the sales here probably um, a lot more yeah. than maybe they would have. So well run too. I remember catching up with uh, a franchisee, this is probably two or three years ago now, who owned a handful of franchise 
franchises, which they tend to do, the good franchisees get a whole bunch of them in a similar area. Um, and he was showing me his um, app, uh, Domino's app for franchisees on his phone, which was giving real-time data of each of his five stores on uh, staffing levels, um, volume of orders, um, yield per, per pizza in real time, and he could swap staff from one to the other depending on the demand from each shop. It was just incredible the amount of real-time data he was getting. It's, it's a very sophisticated business. It's yes. not just like pizza. It's a very, very sophisticated, well-run business. The, um, every now and then, there's a particular journalist in one of the print media, now mainly online, who uh, regularly writes uh, terrible stories about franchising and how franchisees are all being screwed and picks yeah. on Domino's quite regularly. Every time that happens, the share price comes tumbling down. So what we need, I think, is uh, for this particular journalist, I won't say who it is, to write one of the articles again that uh, <laughs> uh, they do, and that will bring the share price down again. And then all the viewers out there who'd love to own Domino's, and it's just a bit pricey at the moment, will probably be able to pick it up for 20% lower than it is at the moment. Okay. <laughs> All right, I think I, I know the bloke that you mean. We'll have a word to him. All right, uh, let's recap the first five stocks on the stock of the day. Uh, Temple and Webster are a no from both Harry and um, Howard and Gary. Same with Integrated uh, Research and Blackmores. Um, same with Hutchison Telecom. Uh, Harvey Norman, a no, but uh, Gary, if it got down to that $485 mark, um, would be interested in it. And Domino's a good company. If you're, if you're in it, hold it. But uh, just too expensive at the moment to, uh, to get in at these levels up around that $118, $120 mark that it's trading at today. Um, here on the call, we've been tracking our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner Nabtrade. Um, any stocks that gets unanimous approval from our, our panel goes into it. Let's see how we're performing for the uh, week we're up 0.6% for the, the month up 1.14% since July last year up 36%. Um, now on a year to date since uh, July the 1st this year, so the last couple of weeks, uh, the portfolio is up 1.7%. Um, taking a look at some of the stocks recently added by our expert panels, uh, Global, Global Data Centre, uh, investment funds, Strike Resources, Venturex Resources, Galaxy Resources, and Flight Center. Uh, some of the stocks removed, Evolution Mining, Premium, and McMahon's. Uh, if you want to see all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Second half of the call, and uh, Gary Zoe wants a view on Alterity uh, Therapeutics. It's a... Um, it's a biotechnology company um, researching sort of drugs in the Parkinson, Alzheimer's, Huntington disease area, uh, neurodegenerative. Uh, Zoe says, I invested in the group earlier in the year at 4.4 cents. Share price sometimes sparks from trial news, but the share price goes down afterward. I want to know from the panel whether it's worth keeping for the long time, uh, long term or take a loss and walk away. 
uh, I chose this um, over um, VUL, which has gone on to be very successful. And uh, Gary, like a, a lot of these sorts of stocks, share price uh, sort of moves on the story behind which stage of the phase of approvals they're up to, doesn't it, from the authorities? That's right. So this this is actually pretty early here. So it's really only sort of phase one here at the moment. So I think the phase two trials are um, scheduled to um, for the end of 2021 to start. So that that means it's pretty early. So that that means the risk is pretty high. Uh, market cap around 79 mil. There's about 32 mil in cash. So um, the the biggest concern I have here. So I mean, uh, the, the story looks pretty good. The addressable market's huge. Obviously that. Um, um, Parkinson's is, is pretty interesting, pretty big field there. I see that they've actually got some um, some money from the Michael J. Fox Foundation as well, which is um, obviously a plus. But um, being so early, it means it's going there's going to be a lot of money spent. Yeah. So a phase two trial is normally pretty pricey. So my concern is that 32 and a half, uh, 32 and a half mil. I think they're spending 5.1 mil a quarter. They're going to run out of cash. Um, to before they get that trial done. So they're probably going to have to go raise some money to get the phase two trial complete. Um, yeah. So that's 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 some risk there. It just means if you're raising more money, it means, you know, it can be a bit of a drag there. So obviously they've been trying to get some positive news flow, some more positive data there to probably try and get the share price up so they can raise more, more money at a higher price. But it doesn't always work that way. But to me, it's just a little early. It's a um, big addressable market, pretty interesting company. Um, but probably just a little too early. Yeah. Um, and Howard, one of those companies in, in this sector which you hope they become an absolute winner because the work they're doing in, in that area, anyone who has yep. relatives or friends with, with Parkinson or Alzheimer's knows, knows what uh, just a, a terrible, tragic, destroying um, uh, disease it is. But... Uh, we're looking at from an investment point of view. Absolutely. And our team invest members, you know, we've got about 540 team invest members, most of them in the 60s or 70s. So most of our members have had very successful careers. They would look at these two company or two types of diseases. They're mainly looking at Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and say, I really hope they succeed because I may need one of them one day. Yeah. But the trouble is, this is early stage, as Gary mentioned, and Gary mentioned they may need to raise capital again. I think it's absolutely certain they will. They've raised capital six times in the past 10 years, and they're running out of cash again. Um, this is not a business. It's a wonderful uh, a, a, a biotech researcher. But to get from phase one through to actually commercializing a drug is probably around 10 years. So the likelihood is they're going to be, even assuming their phase one trials are successful and they then have to raise money for phase two and then their phase two trials are successful and then they have to raise money for stage three and then that's successful and then they want to commercialize it and they have to raise money to commercialize it. We're looking at probably 10 years ahead before they make any money. And of the companies that look like this, the biotechs, for every one that actually makes money for shareholders in the end, there are approximately 40 others that just raise money, raise money, raise money, and eventually fade away. 
So you, you're betting on a roughly one in 40 chance. That's about the same as going down to a casino, except at the casino you get big odds in betting on one money on the roulette, on one number on the roulette. <laughs> you don't necessarily get that here. So these are usually worse for you than going down to the casino and watching the roulette wheel spin. And what's worse, at least on the roulette wheel, you get an instant answer. Here you're going to have to wait 10 years or so yeah. to find out if you've actually done well out of it. Yeah. All right. Watch them well, but sort of not really Absolutely. investable at the moment. Um, Shabir wants a, uh, a view, Howard, on Credit Corp, um, the financial organisation that's in the um, um, debt and loan recovery area. It buys, buys debts and loans from other major financial institutions and, and uh, chases them up. Uh, Shabir says, on the back of broker upgrades in the last two weeks, what are your thoughts on Credit Corp? A well-run and quality company. Could be a potential cyclical business, though, but with 17% upside, is it a good buy at current levels? Well, it hasn't actually been all that cyclical. It's actually been a steadily growing business most of the time. Um, last year, this time, uh, height of COVID and great worries here in Australia and, and lockdown, um, they decided to be extremely conservative and write down the value of the debtors' ledgers that they were trying to collect. So their results last year looked, looked absolutely terrible. However, as it's turned out, people have carried on paying just as well as they were paying before. And they've now um, guided to the fact that they'll make between $1.28 and $1.34 in this year that's just finished. Um, going by past experience, they... In all the I've owned it for about 10 years. In all the 10 years, they've either been right at the top of the end, end of their guidance or slightly above the top end of their guidance. In other words, they're people who the management seems to always slightly under-promise and slightly over-deliver. Never by a lot, but slightly over-deliver. Very, very well-run business and starting to grow a bit in the United States as well. So, um, you know, it's a company I'm very comfortable with. Do I think it's going to be a wealth winner going forwards as it has been in the past? Yes. Um, you could have bought it at about $6 something or other uh, in March, April last year. The share price came tumbling down because everybody thought they'd go broke, which, of course, was quite laughable. I'm pretty sure we had a question on it to, on Osbiz at yep. the time, David, and I spoke about it then that they weren't going broke. They'd be a wealth winner going forward. And you know, if you could buy it at under ten dollars, you're doing really well. Yep. And at that stage, it got down to about six, and uh, it's now back up to uh, uh, what's it, twenty-eight odd dollars. Yep, earnings have gone back to approximately where they were uh, before uh, COVID. Uh, earnings per share uh, will be somewhere around about there next year. I expect will exceed it. So uh, yeah, I'd be reasonably comfortable with it, but it is on a, a, a higher PE now. Um, than, than it has been on generally in the past. So uh, it's probably okay price at the moment. So I'd say a, a soft yes from me, but I'd be much happier if a share price dropped a couple of dollars. But I'm pretty sure after they report that will evaporate because uh, the share price is more likely to go up than down after they report, I would think. Yeah, must admit I, I took your advice and... Bought some for my little super fund and it's been, been a great performer well over the last 12 months. Uh, Gary, what do you think of Credit Corp? Yeah, look, it's a great business. 
uh, market leader. So um, it's definitely the, the, the number one sort of stock in in its um, because its their major there. competitor really went into to trouble in the last twelve months, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And and also well, they bought actually... a lot of bo- uh, loan books a lot cheaper than they they had in the past. Yeah, well, I think yeah, two got... of them almost went bust. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Gary. And, 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 I think well, I think two of them almost went uh, went under, and they ended up buying some assets off one of the um, competitors, right. so um, which kept them alive. So almost like the battle, you know, a bit of art of art of war there, sort of uh, keep your enemies, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> around. But um, but it's just pretty pricey here. I mean, um, I mean, look, the other thing you've got to evaluate a little bit here is that um, they did raise 150 mil. Um, at 12.50, uh, yep. so about 12 million shares. So that means that obviously more shares on issue now. So that does sort of impact your the ability for the you know the stock to sort of get to that higher market cap because of more shares. So, but yeah, I just think um, with Howard here, the, the P is pretty high at the moment. So um, great business. I, I just think you'd want to be buying this. Maybe back. To, I mean, look, I don't know if I'll go back to 20. Maybe it never goes back there. But I'd, I'd be wanting to buy it in the low 20s for sure. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah, um, next stock. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, David, on the expected earnings, it's on a P of about 20, which doesn't sound that high, but it's higher than Credit Corp usually trades on. Right. So I'm with Gary. By Credit Corp standards, it's a bit expensive at the moment, but a P of 20 is not that high for a wealth winner. Yep. Sure. All right. Uh, Gary, Jeff wants a view on Carpentaria Resources. Uh, uh, Jeff's saying they've got four major projects, especially the development of its Horsens Iron project, with the iron ore rated at, at 70%. Um, or will this project be developed too late to receive the top price that it's now available? Uh, went into a trading halt recently to, uh, to raise more capital to, to fund the, uh, the Horsens Iron project as well, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. So they raised uh, 35.6 million at 15 cents. So pretty tight, actually. So I, I thought um, the price was pretty high considering where the share price and the share price has held pretty well. So um, that, that probably tells you that they know there's some um, some good underlying sort of, you know, um, yep. fundamentals occurring here. So look, obviously a great sector here. Um, you know, look, if, if you read the... Uh, all the details of the project they're talking about you know underdeveloped iron ore project you know low cost sort of high grade uh, even even mention of a sort of greener um less carbon emission sort of um um green steel whatever that is i don't know how you can um have green steel but obviously for the um ethical investor there is um some um some pluses in there but um but yeah i just i was just curious at the that there was a shortfall in the um uh, underwritten but i think the the fact that the 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 discount was so small, and and the, and the money was raised pretty quickly. It's, it's pretty positive there. So good sector. I just don't know enough about it, but just from what I read here, it does look pretty positive. Right. Okay. Um, Howard. Yeah, I think the this company's never made a profit, so um, it sounds good. But if you don't sound good, you can't raise money. So the one thing you have to be good at if you can't make a profit is sounding good. You've got to be wonderful at marketing your stock because otherwise you don't get enough money to pay yourself and all your workers and carry on doing whatever it is that you're doing. So you can always be sure that companies that don't make a profit produce wonderfully glossy and beautiful 
presentations for people. Um, when you're making lots of money, you don't have to worry about that. The shareholders are happy that you're doing well anyway. So um, my concern here would be with a company with no proven track record of ever making a profit, yes, it may have a resource that could be worth something, but as the viewer says, will it be in time? You know, iron ore is not going to stay at $200 a tonne forever. It's a commodity. And yeah. uh, if it takes them another few years to get to actually be producing and selling that iron ore, the iron ore price could have come down so much that the resource isn't all that exciting anymore. So definitely no team investment member would look at this and okay. be at all interested in talking about it. All right. Uh, Sarah wants your view, Howard, on Perpetual, the, uh, the big funds management financial group. Yeah, now that's an interesting company. You know, before the GFC, around about 2007, they were one of three companies that were talked about as having their share price hit $100. At that stage, there was no company on the ASX that had hit $100. And I think Perpetual may have made it. I think they actually reached 100 or if they didn't, they got very close. It was Rio, Macquarie and Perpetual. The share price is now 37.76. So they have not been a, a great business to own over that period of time. They, they've always been what they call value investors. I'm always uncomfortable with these labels because people call me a value investor. I have no idea what it actually means. I just like to buy companies that have growing earnings per share and are cheap prices. If that makes me a value investor, then I suppose I am, but I, uh, you know, uh, I have no idea. Um, but, uh, you know, it's uh, like fund managers, it has quite decent return on equity, but lower than some of the other fund managers. It's got no debt, which again, virtually no debt you'd expect from a fund manager, but its earnings per share have not been growing. Now, we've had a booming market for years because of lower interest rates, and yet their earnings per share lower today than they were in 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, or 19. So their earnings per share have in fact been coming down while you would expect in the booming stock market conditions that we've had around the world because of low interest rates, that their earnings per share would have been going up. Yep. So I think it was a great company in its early days. It's had a number of changes of management, I'm sure over that time, don't know, I don't follow the company that well. But it, it certainly doesn't uh, excite us. And from a team invest point of view, it's a no. Okay. Gary? Yeah, I think, uh, well, on the uh, the value investing, yeah, I think it's quite loose uh, uh, phrasing now, but I think it's pretty much uh, if they make profit and pay dividends, you're a value investor. <laughs> <laughs> which so, which um, sounds funny, so, and which sounds funny because a lot of stocks nowadays don't. I mean, Howard was sort of joking earlier about, you know, stocks, P&L and obviously some of those stocks are only quoting sales, but there are plenty of stocks on the board that are all about revenue lines and all about growing their sales and um, and don't yeah. mention profits there. There's plenty of stocks there and the, yeah. the market has definitely gotten away from uh, value investing, uh, looking at profits there. And um, I, I, can, I, I personally think in the next 12 months when we see a cooling off in those US equities, we're all going to go back to looking at P&Ls and profits again like we've never looked at them before. Yeah, interesting. Absolutely. Well said. But on the yeah, on the um, perpetual, I think um, I'm with Howard there. I think it's the look. I think there's a time to buy this stock. It's actually got a um, I, I consider it actually a, what I call a high beta stock. So um, when the market actually falls pretty hard, 
and you're looking for sort of stocks to buy, obviously looking for better stocks there, it, it tend to, it will bounce back greater than the market because it, it does, and it generally tracks the market. So um, it gives you a little bit more beta than the actual, you know, than buying like a, um, like a, a broad-based managed fund. Um, but that's, it's really what it is. So how it's right there, it's not super sexy, earnings aren't great there, but um, it will track the market and give you a little bit more beta than the market itself. But that's, okay. that's it. All right. Thank you, Sarah, for that suggestion. Morgan now, Gary, wants uh, a view on our final stock, uh, Silver Lake Resources, the uh, gold exploration and, and, and producer, uh, produces bullion gold copper concentrate, uh, three major projects in WA at Mount Munger, Deflector and Romsey. Um, gold sales down a bit in the current quarter from its uh, um, latest production update, but copper sales... Uh, certainly well above. Yeah, so sort of viewers asking sort of why, you know, why it was down there. So at the end of the day, it's, it has disappointed the market. I see most brokers have downgraded their numbers by around about 13% lower. So um, the the, up, the the update a couple of days ago has um, been sort of viewed negative. And obviously, we've seen some pretty heavy selling on the stock sort of since there. So, you know, when you look across the sector, there's some probably better looking um um, gold stocks there. I mean, um, I'd be looking at um, Newcrest, Regis, um, um, Sandfire Resources, which has got a bit of copper and gold, um, and um, even um, DEG is the other one that I I quite like. Um, that's the Grey Mining, which has been which had had a pretty good record so far this year. So, I it's a, probably a no for me for Silver Lake, but um, you know, I'd be looking at some of the other golds first. Right. Okay. Howard? Yeah, no, for me too. Um, you know, trouble with gold miners is unlike if we give the opposite example, when Domino's sells a pizza, it doesn't mean they have one pizza less, less to sell in the future. They can make pizza again and again and again and again. Every time a gold miner mines some gold out of the mine, there's less gold left behind in the mine to mine out and eventually it runs out. They've got some incredibly high grade gold and because the gold price has risen so much, they don't have very large resources, but it's high grade. So when the gold price goes up, um, they've got this choice. If we mine our high grade gold and then the gold price goes down, we're going to land up uh, having no mine that's workable anymore. On the other hand, if we switch to mining the lower grade ore, which is I'm sure what they've done, we'll sell less gold at the time the gold price was high but we have a business for longer and we have jobs in management for longer. Right. So um, the, that's really the problem. And the commodity producers um, are invariably best to buy when it's all doom and gloom. So when everybody talks about gold being an antiquated um, uh, store of value and that who the hell wants to own gold anymore and the gold price has collapsed and the world's turning away from it and focusing on something else, that's the time to buy gold, um, not when the gold price is high. Um, because when the gold price is high, you're really on a hiding to nothing because yeah. they're going to be mining lower grade and at the same time, therefore having less gold to sell. Yep, very good point. Uh, Howard Coleman from Team Invest, uh, that's it for the call for today. Really appreciate your time and your words of wisdom. Likewise, Gary Glover from Novus Capital as well. Keep well, guys. Thank you for that. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. Uh, let's Bye. just recap the final five stocks. Alterity, a no. 
Um, Credit Corp, a soft buy from, uh, from Howard. Um, Gary says, great company, share price a bit too expensive at the moment and no for Carpentaria Resources, uh, Perpetual and also Silver Lake. Um, that's it for our show for today. If you have any stocks you want our expert panels to uh, analyse, put them in an email to us, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at osbiztb handle. Don't forget you can see all the stocks in the calls fantasy portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And don't forget, if you want a wrap up of everything that's been happening in the world of startups, the markets throughout the day, you get Scuddy's view, you get a link to the Close of Business podcast, also the most popular interviews on the Ausbiz platform during the day. Subscribe, osbiz.co forward slash the COB. And uh, that's it for, uh, for the call for today. I'll see you same time, midday tomorrow for another edition of the call we go through. Another 10 stocks, look forward to your company then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.